Chris and Chris Talk Movies. Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. My name is Chris Ferry, and this is my co-host. My name is Chris Huddleston. And tonight, we are very excited to be talking to you about the 1991? 1995. 1995 film, 12 Monkeys. You're a very good observer, Cole. We have a very advanced program, something very different. An opportunity to reduce your sentence considerably and possibly play an important role in returning the human race to the surface of the Earth. No license, no prints, no warrants. But he took on five cops like he was destined to the eyeballs. What year is this? What year do you think it is? 1996. That's the future, James. Do you think you're living in the future? I'm simply trying to gather information to help the people in the present trace the path of the virus. We're not in the present now. This is a place for crazy people. I'm not saying you're not mentally ill. For all I know, you're <laughs> crazy as a loon. The army of the 12 monkeys, they're the ones that spread the virus. Monkeys. He's been living in a meticulously constructed fantasy world, and that world is starting to disintegrate. You haven't become addicted to that dying world? No, sir. He needs help. You think I'm crazy when people start dying next month? I don't belong here. You're here because of the system. I know some things that you don't know. Yes, my son. You sent me to the wrong year. You're certain of that? Science ain't an exact science. You had a bullet from World War One in your leg, James. How did it get there? I don't know. You're a trained psychiatrist. You know the difference between what's real and what's not. You said that I had delusions. You said you could explain. I'm trying to. I want the future to be unknown. I can help you. Get you out. Monkeys. The thing mutates, we live underground! They're watching you. I just want to do my part to get us back on top in charge of the planet. Okay, so that's a NASA trailer. Do you have a synopsis for us, Mr. Helderstein? I do. So 12 Monkeys is a 1995 film directed by Terry Gilliam. It stars Bruce Willis, Madeline Stowe, and Brad Pitt. And the synopsis, the brief synopsis from IMDb is, In a future world devastated by disease, a convict is sent back in time to gather information about the man-made virus that wiped out most of the human population on the planet. Yeah, yeah, yep, yep. So what did you think? I don't know what your history is with this movie. Had you seen it before? I saw it when it came out mm-hmm. and not since. Okay. Um, what about yourself? Is this another beloved? Uh... It is, yeah. I'll, I'll get to that. But yeah, this one is a beloved one for me. So here is the complicated reality of my experience with it. Um When I first saw it, I didn't like it, and I don't remember well enough why, but some of that came back to me this time. I think I wanted to like it more than I actually liked it, and I've been thinking a lot about the things that made it not quite come together for me because on paper, I like everything about this movie. Mm -hmm. Um, I think Bruce Willis... um, was was handing in um, a good performance, you know? I mean, you've seen movies in his mid to later career where he's not really trying or whatever. Yeah. But he's really acting in this movie. Um, Madeline Stowe is great. Uh, it's got Christopher Plummer in it, who is always great. Um, Brad Pitt, I think part of the issue is he is certainly acting his heart out. And I think it's comprehensive. Like his energy is dialed all the way up to 11, but maybe it's a directoral critique for me. I felt like he was playing so crazy that it it started hurting the story, right? I just, Mm -hmm. he was so crazy that I didn't think 
you know, the dad would have him around, that this guy was fun. I mean, he, you believe it in the institution, right? <laughs> You're like, okay, yeah, that fits in the institution. But then we see him outside of the institution, and he's more or less doing the same thing. And you're like, there's no way, right? If this guy was acting like this, you wouldn't put him in a tuxedo and have him to the benefit dinner, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you, this guy would be medicated. I don't care how rich he is. Um, and so that's one element of the way the directoral, I, I don't know. It's just, he didn't, it wasn't like it was poorly lit or the sets were lousy or the costumes were lousy or the dialogue was bad, none of that. All of it, all of it on paper was like, this is awesome. But it just didn't come together for me somehow. I, I, I can't, I, I haven't been able to arrive at a more specific something in the way it's shot. I didn't feel sucked into the movie. You know, I didn't feel like I was in it with them. I, I always felt like it was, Something I was watching. Mm -hmm. I don't know. How does that land on you? Yeah. So something that you said there um, kind of leads into what I was going to start with. So you said, um, you know, that it just didn't quite come together for you all. That's how I, t or and, and you said that you wanted to like it, but it just kind of didn't work for you. That's how I typically feel about Terry Gilliam in general. Mm. So um, a lot of his movies, you know, he did Time Bandits and Brazil mm -hmm. and The Adventures of Baron Munchausen. Mm -hmm. And he explores a lot of themes that I find to be interesting. I like his, his, his aesthetic. Um, but those other movies that I mentioned and some of the other ones that he's done, I think he did the brothers Grimm, and you know, there's things about those movies that I like, but I don't, they kind of don't come together as a whole for me. Whereas mm -hmm. this movie does. And I think one of the reasons for that I was reading, he typically writes his own scripts, mm -hmm. but 12 monkeys was written by somebody else. And also mm -hmm. I think from what I understood, the only movies that he did not write that he directed are 12 monkeys and the Fisher King, which I've never actually hmm. seen. I've never actually seen the Fisher King, but really, uh, oh, that's yeah, interesting. it was one of those. I just never went And that's one we certainly could do on the show. If you would we like, because that. I, that's just one of those that I just never got around to for whatever reason. And I, I'm sure I would enjoy it. But with this, I think it is, um, it certainly has some of his signature weirdness, but this isn't, this is a more, more of a mainstream movie than what those other ones are, you know, and you have obviously these really big stars in it too. Um, so I saw this in the movie theater when it came out and I loved it then. And I, I don't think I have it on Blu-ray, but I think I have it on DVD and I've watched it. I don't know, maybe a half a dozen times over the years. And like you said about it, having the, you know, on paper, all the things that you like, it has on paper all the things that I like and they all work together. You know, I, I like, uh, I think this is what, uh, the fourth or fifth time travel movie that we've done. We did Donnie mm -hmm. Darko. We did time crimes. We did safety, not guaranteed and this, and the, all very different time travel movies, but I would almost watch any movie that has a time travel element in it. You know what I mean? It's just one of those conceits that I just, I just really enjoy. Yeah. Um, and with this, I like, uh, I, now the budget was pretty low on this. I read it was about 26 million and it made like five times its budget worldwide. Um, you know, so it was a, it was a pretty decent hit at the time. Um, but I like the, uh, they didn't have much money for sets or anything like that. So I was reading that you know, they were filming on location and a lot of these places that they shot were just abandoned. Like the uh, mental hospital was an abandoned mental hospital. Mm. Um, I think the, the sleazy hotel that they're in at one point, that was an abandoned hotel. So it has this, and I know Philadelphia and Baltimore have, have not always been viewed as great cities, but 
I mean, they look so it's almost like a third world country or something like that. You know what I mean? When they're going around because there's just trash everywhere and burning cars and all these things, you know, in both Philadelphia and uh, Baltimore. But um, I really like the scenes where um, it's in the future with Bruce Willis and he's, um, you know, with the doctors and they're transporting him back because the technology seems so shoddy. You know what I mean? I Yeah, they're not just, good at it. They're not. And, and I think that's a really funny uh, element that he puts in, you know, th- this is a, you know, a serious movie, but there's, there's some humor in it. And I really like that. It's, uh, you know, they're just kind of incompetent. There's one point where they send them to 1917, you know, into world war one. There's, and there's a couple other times where they send them, you know, to the wrong time frame. And I like that. I, I think, but, but even the way their technology looks, it's just, you know, we kind of talked about this a couple of weeks ago with uh, uh, Edward Scissorhands. The hat that has the signature Tim Burton look, and the technology in the future has kind of a signature Terry Gilliam look. You know, to me, it's almost like a steampunk kind of yeah. design or something. So I like all of that. I like. I think the acting is great. I disagree about Brad Pitt. Um, I. I think, you know, he's done a lot of a lot of movies that I that I love. But I've brought it up before where uh Brad Pitt to me is is more of a movie star than an actor. So much of the time I feel like he's just being Brad Pitt whereas mm-hmm. this uh you know, he's playing really against type. Um and I really, really like his performance here. It never grates on me or anything like that. And and he won a Golden Globe for this and was nominated for an Oscar. Um, so I, I've always just felt like this performance really stands out in his career because it's so different. And from what I read, this was definitely what Terry Gilliam wanted. They said that um, he uh, sent, he didn't think that Brad Pitt could quite do that kind of fast paced talking and that manic behavior that he has. So he sent him to a coach for a while. And then, uh, he said, they said that he just took his cigarettes away and that made him real, (laughs) you know, I guess real kind of agitated. And they said he put in exactly the performance that, uh, that Terry Gilliam wanted. So, Hmm. um, you know, if that's true, I don't have a problem with, his performance per se i think that in the story structure he's a red herring right i mean mm-hmm. they army of the 12 monkeys spoiler alert as always um if you haven't seen 12 monkeys yet um but we're supposed to think it's this madman that really only a madman would release a virus onto the world like this right mm-hmm but we find out at the end that's not the case. In other words, a madman, the man who releases the virus may be. But it's not this madman. This is a very disorganized madman, you know? Mm-hmm. And I feel like the storytelling, we're supposed to be certain. We meet him early on, then we're supposed to be more and more certain, like, oh, my God. Bruce Willis, who's trying to find out who, um, who did it, he knows this guy, right? And it's like... Maybe he has a chance of stopping it or something, but they say again and again throughout the movie, you can't change what happens. So, but they keep sending him back, I guess, in some ways to try and get more information so they can cure the virus or something in the well, future. My, my under, yeah, my understanding. So at the very end of the movie, when you have the, uh, you know, the scientist who's who's going to release the plague, and then you have the woman on the plane who, you know, is sitting next to him. And she says that, um, she's an insurance. Well, she's one of those future scientists. I think that, uh, uh, you know, is always questioning Bruce Willis about his missions and everything. And my understanding is they know they can't stop what happened in the past, but they just want to be able to get, um, it's basically they want to get the virus so they can study it in the future and um, 
you know, I guess, uh, save whoever could be left or whatever. I don't know, but it's, but my understanding is Well, in is the they, future, they're underground. The yeah. virus has driven them underground. So they, they can, yeah, so they can move, and they want to, they can move back above, back above ground. Yeah. So they know they can never, and they want him to just get whatever information they can to, to find the virus at that point so they can, you know, they could work on it or whatever. That's why I understand it. Yeah. So, but I've always thought that again, that part, and I, you know, I'm, I'm sure there are definitely people that watched it and were just like, well, this is dumb that the, the 12 monkeys turns out to be, to never be anything. But I've always thought that was funny too, that it's like, this is I the don't whole. I think it's dumb. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying you think it's I dumb. Just but think I just think it but doesn't land. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? I think it's a, it's a clever twist. Like, okay, so Sixth Sense, right? I mean, there's a twist that one of the probably most successful movie ending twists, certainly of our lifetime in cinema. Like, mm-hmm. just, oh, snap, you know? And in this one, I feel like it's supposed to be that. There's supposed to be a series of them, I feel. I feel like you, there's... You, you're supposed to think, oh, snap, it's not Brad Pitt. Oh, snap, it's that other guy in the lab. Oh, oh snap, 12 monkeys had nothing to do with it. They're just a bunch of clowns. Oh, snap, the long-haired guy is Bruce Willis. And for a minute, I thought it was actually going to be, oh, snap, Bruce Willis is his own father. <laughs> but he was in there witnessing himself. Like, he closes the loop. Mm-hmm. He witnesses himself get shot, and that's the end of the life cycle. And then at the end, it's almost like, oh, snap, they knew all along and they just needed him to get this far to find out what plane it was on or whatever, like they've been using him all along. I I don't know. That last one where she says, I'm unsure, I'm like, so is this a coincidence that the the virus just happens not to kill her and she becomes a scientist trying to backtrack it? And this is an ironic, like... She was sitting right next to the guy on the plane in the future. They're trying to figure out who it was when she was sitting right next to him the whole time. Or I'm in insurance is that they sent me back to, you know, and we end the story here because Bruce Willis has died. But now I'm going to get the virus. And right. It just wasn't clear to me. So again, I don't need movies to be like like the lighthouse. I don't need it to be spoon feeding me answers. Mm-hmm. But this wasn't ambiguous in a poetic, open-ended way. This was ambiguous in a way that felt like, oh, I was supposed to have a series of aha moments here. I just didn't have. Mm-hmm. I just didn't experience. Yeah. I, I really, I want to, I want to be like, I want to be a big, big fan and love this movie. I, I said to myself a bunch of times watching, I'm like, why don't I like this more? <laughs> like, this is so, that's so clever. I love when they sent him back to 1917. I did have a moment of like, okay, and then and then it sort of corrects and he's sent forward. And I'm like, wait, did they just pull him out of 1917 and put him, or did they, did we skip? Did they pull him back home and then try again? But we just deleted, like, the time thing was a little... And it didn't ruin the movie for me, but I'm like, I like that they sort of sent him to the wrong time and then corrected it. But I'm like, how? Because you got to put him in the big plastic thing and inject him into the blue wall, right? So, well, apparently he's naked in a trench in 1917. How did you get him to 1990? Well, that's the thing where apparently bringing him back. uh, And I guess I never really thought about it too much, but bringing him back, you know, he just kind of disappears so I don't, I've never really understood how the, the coming back part works. Right. You know, because he goes and, through the tube and everything, but there's multiple times in the movie where he's whatever, you know, he's in the past. Right. And he'll just disappear. And like he's, you know, he's locked in a cell uh, in the mental hospital. And then, there, then he, you know, he disappears from there. And he's, that's, for me, with the time travel movie, that's, I like to see. I, I just like to see what the, how they're going to do that. Yeah, yeah. You know, sometimes the the character walks through a door and then the other person follows him in. They're not in the room. Fine. Like, it doesn't need to be a big CGI effect. Right. But that's part of my love of time travel movies. It's like, how do you solve that? What's mm-hmm. your take on it? What does that look like in the movie? You know? Yeah. And we don't yeah, get any of that. Yeah, that's a good That's a good point. Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't have an answer 
I don't have an answer for you there as to why they, they leave that out. But, uh, I don't know for me, some of the, I like, again, I'd have to go back and, you know, it's been a long time since I watched any other Terry Gilliam movies, but for this one, there's a real emotional attachment because like you, for me, because like you talked about with Bruce Willis, you know, later in his career, you know, I think now he's doing just a lot of direct to video stuff and, you know, I haven't watched these movies, but you'll read about them and people just be like, he's just totally phoning this in, you know, Mm -hmm. but like you said in this, he, you know, and he's not even really playing the action hero guy in this too much. I mean, he fights and things, but it's, it's more just for survival. Um, but I like that. He's, he's not, he's not playing. Um, it's not diehard. No, no, not at all. And like, I love the, like, there's just some little scenes that I, that I really like the emotion that he shows. There's a great scene where, um, you know, he kidnaps Madeline Stowe and he's in the back of her car and he says, Oh, do you have a radio? And, you know, she turns it on and it's playing like Blueberry Hill or something like that. And he's, he just, you know, and he, he kind of has tears in his eyes and he says, Oh, I just love the music of your time. You know, we don't have any music like this. And it's just, it's just a little, a little scene, but I just love, yeah, it's great. Uh, I love the emotion that he shows there, you know, and in the when he gets shot, you know, even having seen it multiple times and it's I don't know the first time watching it if I, you know, caught until the end. He repeatedly has this dream um, about, you know, it's him in the airport, but you don't see his face or anything. And I think he's the kid. Yeah, he's the he's the kid looking but witnessing a man get shot, which which is Bruce Willis, but you don't see it, his face or anything. It and it turns out to be himself. Right. But I don't know if. But it's not a dream. It's a memory. He yeah, keeps ex- dreaming this memory of when he was a kid in the airport, seeing this long haired guy with a mustache getting shot in front of his face in the airport. And what we discover at the end of the movie is it's Bruce Willis in a disguise. Right. And the blonde woman running after him is Madeline Stowe. Yeah. In a wig. Yeah. And I don't know, you know, I can't remember the first time I watched it if I if I didn't guess that that was Bruce Willis, you know, until the end of the movie. Because um, I'm not sure how, if you haven't seen the movie, I don't know how, maybe it's really obvious to people, I don't know. But um, but the uh, I that scene at the end, you know, when he gets shot, I think is just fantastic. Where, you know, she leans over him and you know, he puts his hand on her face and, you know, there's blood on his hand and everything. And it's one of those things for as many times as I've watched the movie, even though I love the ending, it's always you ever have that with a movie that you'll watch and you'll think, I, I know how it's going to end because I've seen it before, but I wish it would end a different way. You know, it's like I wish they could go to Key West or wherever it is, you know, that yes. they're trying that they're trying to go. But yes, but I still I, love I, the way it ends, you know. I will grant you that this movie is enormously effective in that regard. The the relationship of those two characters is very well painted on screen. She or starts off as his therapist. She's a psychiatrist mm-hmm. and he is committed to this mental institution because when he first shows up, he's he's in the wrong time. He's too early. And he's like, oh, I got to find the 12 monkeys, you know, the virus. And they think he's nuts. Uh, So they commit him and she's treating him. And, of course, she thinks that he is insane. And over the course of the movie, and he kidnaps her, over the course of the movie, he comes, he's sent back several times and he appears in these other, you know, years later for her. But for him, it's days. And she falls for him over time and that the seat the scene where he's sitting in the back and loving the music um is one of those things that he is he's not a super smart guy he's not somebody capital i important in the future i think he's actually a prisoner he is yeah we don't really know we don't see what he did in the future to be in prison but he they they give they're taking these prisoners and giving them uh the chance of a reduced sentence if they'll do these science experiments which are to send them back in time and try and find out more about this virus. So he does a pretty convincing job of 
playing a medium bright bulb like he's not a thinker this character and he has no frame of reference like that he keeps talking about how sweet the air smells and how great it is to be on the surface and right of course everybody thinks he's insane Mm-hmm. But there's, it's enough, it's genuine enough that she begins to really care for him and then fall in love with him. And it is, in fact, her idea at the end that they disguise. By the end, he's a wanted man. It's her idea that they disguise themselves and get tickets to Key West and and just escape it all, which of course and- puts him exactly where he needs to be as an adult for him as a boy to witness him himself, unbeknownst to him, being shot in the airport. And they almost kind of switch roles because she, you know, he he has decided, uh, right. late, you know, towards the end of the movie, he's just like, I know I'm crazy now. This is all a delusion. You know, I, there, I couldn't time travel. You know, no, this is real. And she's like, no, you know, so she, you know, she be, kind of becomes the crazy one almost, um, which I like that. I Her performance also is just really great. I mean, terrific. Um, she's really fantastic. And, you know, it's very much a a uh a movie can see you know not that there's never been a therapist that that fell in love with one of their patients but it's like right you know it's it's hard to imagine that she would actually fall for this guy um but it's but you they still it. yeah they sell it and you and you root for it you know i agree i agree with all of that i again i all the way through i'm like why isn't this Getting its hooks in me. Like, I see the hooks. They're clever hooks. They're well-written hooks. They're hooks I dig that I want to be hooked with. Just not feeling hooked by it. What about the music? Did you like the kind of kooky music in it? That's, I don't know what, it's almost Zydeco sounding music or something. I don't know what instrument it is that they're playing, but. No, but Almost like an accordion or something. It's a little bit of a pet peeve with me and, um, and uh, Terry Gilliam. It's like. The wackadoo stuff. I, I bet that's the performance he wanted out of Brad Pitt. I just don't think mm-hmm. that was the right performance to tell the story that of the movie that he made, right? Mm-hmm. That was his directorial interpretation of the script. And I thought it got in the way of the storytelling of the movie because I never thought it was plausible that this... I liked his performance. I just didn't think that that character was ever a plausible... Um, and that, you know, the guy who started it all, mm-hmm. you're like, you bet he's the son of the virologist. He got the virus. I'm like, how, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. they wouldn't let him in the lab. This guy is a crazy loose cannon, like crazy with a K. The guy doesn't bring the virus home, you know? Yeah. And so when then you go back and you rewatch it and you know, it's the red haired guy. There's all of these telltale signs. You know, he's t- that she's giving a lecture on the apocalypse and he comes up and he's like, oh, don't you agree that everybody deserves to die and the, inf- you know, the mankind is essentially worthless, right? And then another person comes up and says, doctor, and, you know, she doesn't pay him any attention. But there's all these times when they plant that this guy is it, like philosophically who works with the dad in the lab philosophically really thinks that humanity is ripe to be culled like with a right. you know that that's that's the next step in the natural order and he's clear and he's competent and he's organized and he has access to the lab he's in fact he's running the lab so when you find out it's him you're like of course it's him <laughs> you mm-hmm. know i don't know but i just feel like the way the movie things written you're supposed to be like oh it's that dude I did not. I just didn't feel that. I'm like, yeah. He's the guy that makes them. I know, and it's not a cop movie, so it's not like the detectives miss something obvious. It's Bruce Willis. Yeah, Bruce Willis has more or less just been running around looking for what they told him, um, you know, and chasing his own demons or running from them. But as the viewer, and I know I've seen it before, as the viewer, I just felt like. I was supposed to be riding this kind of roller coaster, and instead of being in it, taking the turns and the loop and the drop, I was outside watching someone, watching the, you know, like third party watching the roller coaster. And I thought, that's a really cleverly built roller coaster. That looks like a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just, I wasn't feeling it. Sure. And I wanted to. I'm like, well, please let me into this ride. I don't know if it was a Zydeco music. <laughs> 
it was a little bit I because I think it is. You know, I love Monty Python and I love mm-hmm. Terry Gilliam and Monty Python. I think Terry Gilliam's really, really smart and extremely creative and specific. And uh, I admire all of that stuff. But his movies always leave me feeling a little outside it somehow. Yeah. Like and like more making it for himself in and there wasn't really an open door for me or if I didn't think precisely the way he did. I, I don't know. I don't know. Like I say, that's typically my you know something like uh have you ever seen the adventures of baron munchausen yeah you know and it's gorgeous it yeah. looks like one of his animations but it's hard to take as plausible like it, the fact that this is all real and that's an actual set and you know this is a like shooting at live action strains credibility you know physics works like a cartoon and the jokes work like cartoons i'm like why don't you just make a cartoon mm-hmm and the same thing with Brazil, you know, he has these, uh, which Brazil was a famously troubled production, which it's kind of interesting also that I'd read that, uh, so Universal produced Brazil and he had all kinds of problems, like big battles with them and everything. And uh, then they produced 12 Monkeys as well. And 12, 12 Monkeys is based on a 19, I think it's a 1962 short film called La Jete, which is this black and white French, like, I don't know, 20 minute movie or something like that. And Universal had bought the rights to that and wanted to do a remake, you know, feature length remake. And they approached Terry Gilliam. And from what I understood, he was like, okay, we had all this problem, all these problems on Brazil. And you want me to do another movie? He was like, okay, I want final cut. And they were like, all right. And they, you know, they made the budget small enough that they, that it wasn't a problem. Um, and kind of, I was looking through and it, you know, and every movie seems like it's this way, but there were a bunch of people that they looked at uh, prior to Bruce Willis. Um, I guess Terry Gilliam wanted Nick Nolte in the Bruce Willis role. And he wanted Jeff Bridges in the Brad Pitt role, which I mean, mm. they would have been interesting, but that'd be a very different movie. Um and also Brad Pitt, it, it, this is a, to me an interesting thing about going back and watching these movies that are 25, 30 years old. So Brad Pitt was kind of not a star yet. And they signed him for very little money. And then after he was signed, then like Interview with a Vampire came out. And I don't know. I don't know if Seven would have been out already, at, you know, but he was like a giant star by the time the movie was released Mm. and the same thing with Bruce Willis, they said he, um, he worked essentially for basically nothing because he just wanted to work with Terry Gilliam. And that's kind of what they said. Everybody, you know, kind of everybody involved was just, they did the movie just because they wanted to work with him. But, uh, now I don't really know where I'm going with this, but um, have you ever seen interview with a vampire? I have. Yeah. It's always been, I, I never got through it. I think it bored me. Yeah, that's turned it off. You talk about one like you couldn't connect with. I I could not get into that. But that's it, Tom Cruise, Brad Pitt. There's a little girl vampire, right? Who is uh uh I can't think of what her name is, but she's a big star. Um uh I don't know. I don't remember her name, but Anyway, what else, what else is she in? As uh, she was in. Um, I don't know. I'd have to. I'd have to look her up. But she was in. Uh, did you ever say see the uh, the Virgin Suicides? No. Um, I mean, she's been in other big. Uh, there was a Marie Antoinette movie like a few years ago that Kirsten she was in. Dunst. Yeah, Kirsten Dunst. Yeah. No Kirsten way. Dunst. Yep. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. It's so Kirsten I mean, Dunst. there's a part of me that's like, I gotta see that movie, but. I tried watching it once, yeah, and the I literally way. was I... like, what is happening? It's You've got Tom Cruise, Brad Pitt, Kirsten Dunst. It's about vampires, and they're all just sitting around talking? It, kid, this yeah. can't be the whole movie. Yeah. But I, I, I didn't watch the whole movie, but that was a long – I felt long. I was watching it one – it was on TV one Christmas, and I was like, ooh, I've always been curious about this. And I was like, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I tried to watch it at the time, you know, and I and I couldn't get into it. Um, so I don't know where I was going with the Terry Gilliam thing, but basically that it was, uh, um, that they let him have final cut, um, 
you know, to make this, but, uh, <laughs> I don't know where I was going, but, it, but again, like we've kind of talked about, I, I usually really want to, I'm, I'm like how you feel about this. The other movies like Brazil, uh, I've tried to watch that. I mean, I've, I'm sure I've watched it all the way through a couple of times and it's, I like his, um, you know, he makes a lot of commentary kind of about, He's very anti-corporate. So a lot of, you know, Brazil has a lot of, and, you know, he's really into this. You have some of this in 12 monkeys, the dystopian future. And, and that's all stuff that, that I enjoy, um, in movies and maybe, you know, there's not as much of that in this as, as some of those other ones. Again, I think maybe he's a director that for me, directing somebody else's script is a better, you know, recipe for success. I don't know. Maybe, but, but maybe um, I don't like time bandits. Do you like time bandits? That's a, that's a movie from my youth that I have these, I want to say fond memories of. I remember thinking it was really cool conceptually, mm-hmm. you know, and the, the head that keeps coming and then it turns out to be God. And it's just this kind of dapper English gentleman, very understated, you know, but that return, the map, that was always, I thought that was awesome. I thought casting little people at the time, their performances weren't dynamite. Um, but I loved that the, I loved the concept of these people that were popping in and out of reality time mm-hmm. to basically just for the mo- the basest of reasons to steal stuff was great. And so again, I mean, it's. A, I wish that I liked it more, because again, on paper, I'm like, this is going to be great. And then I watch it, I'm kind of like, huh. And I, I don't want to bash on Terry Gilliam, but the thought occurs to me that Terry Gilliam, making films you wish you loved. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that's how I feel about. I definitely feel that way about Time Bandits. I mean, even as a kid, it, it should have had all the elements that I enjoyed, but I always just thought it was kind of weird, you know? It was definitely um, weird. Now, what? Uh, in a good way, I would say with this, again, this may have been his, I don't know this for 100% sure because I didn't really look at the numbers, but this may have been his biggest box office success. Um, cause it was something like 170 million worldwide, something like that. I mean, it was, a, wow. you know, it got critical acclaim at the time. And like I say, Brad Pitt was nominated for an Oscar. And when you look on IMDB, the average rating is an eight. Um, so it's definitely a, a well-revered film, but again, this goes along with what I'm kind of a broken record on this, but this is a movie that wouldn't be this would maybe be a netflix thing and i mean there was a tv series made for sci-fi which i never watched that ran like four seasons i think um but this kind of movie doesn't get in the theater anymore you know i mean a That's 30 yeah. 30 million dollar budget and this is a you know it it got made probably because of the cast that it had because they were all giant stars at the time but it was it this is still a pretty weird movie that managed to find a broad audience yes and i i just don't see anything like this being made today you know but it, it, it this would be a netflix or yeah. amazon or hulu or something yeah, property because they have the they have the pockets mm-hmm. and and the incentive to generate a wide spectrum of content on their yeah. platform um and that, I mean, next week we're going to be talking about a Netflix movie that just came out. Mm-hmm. So that'll be kind of interesting. I have, I have already seen it. I have a lot of thoughts. Mm-hmm. But I will refrain from talking about it right now. All right. So uh, what else do we want to say? Do we want to do recommendations? Yeah. I mean, I think if you love Terry Gilliam and if you like his other stuff, then you're going to love 12 Monkeys. Um I think of the Terry Gilliam movies I've seen, it's among my favorites. And I think fondly of Terry Gilliam, but in terms of sitting down and enjoying a movie, they always feel, I always feel a little left outside of them. And this is no exception. 
for me. Yeah, I would definitely agree with exactly what you said with this being the exception for me. This this is definitely one of my favorite movies of the 90s. And I mean, I've, I think I would go so far as to say this would rank somewhere among my favorite movies of all time. Wow, uh, that's awesome. I hate yeah. being the negative. I hate no, being no. the thumb down guy, but no. You like what you like, you know, it's 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 fine. And this isn't a movie um you know, there there are people who there are a lot of people well, I've I've tried to show this to friends before and had them just be kind of like, "Yeah, I didn't like that." <laughs> you know. Uh so, you know, I've tried that a couple of times and you know, people who were just like not into it at all. They're just like, I don't get it. It doesn't make sense to me, you know, and it's like, okay. Um, which I know, you know, you don't, you don't fall into that category, but, um, you know, definitely for anybody that is fans of any of these actors, um, especially to see them, you know, 25 years ago. And if, if, if you, are a Bruce Willis fan and you've just seen, you know, the Die Hard movies and Armageddon and stuff like this. This is this is Bruce Willis really acting. I'm I don't know trying watching this I was trying to think of you know, can you think of any real heavy dramatic films that Bruce Willis has done? I mean, everything that he's done has been kind of action or comedy. Yeah, I can't, I can't think of any like, you know, drama dramas. That, yeah, I don't know. Maybe he has done them. So I mean, this this to me is as good a performance as I've ever seen from from Bruce Willis. Probably at the the one area where I would say Bruce Willis does not phone it in now is uh, he appears fairly regularly in. Um, Wes Anderson movies now, and he does a great job in those. Um, yeah. He he doesn't he doesn't phone it in, you know, for those. But he's but he's doing a lot of action movies where he he's definitely, you know, just seems like he's there for the paycheck or whatever. And the same thing with Brad Pitt. If you want to see a very different Brad, a manic Brad Pitt, and not the uh, you know kind of sex symbol Brad Pitt, you know, he has. He's wearing contact lenses that make his eyes look kind of wonky. And um, and again, Madeline Stowe is is fantastic in this. And this is definitely for me the Terry Gilliam movie that that works the best. I'm you know, I've as I've said, I've watched this probably a half a dozen times. And this is a movie that I will that I'll watch again. You know, I at this point, there's not a whole lot that I forget from from time to time watching it but um you know i'll definitely hear sometime again in the in a few years watch it in whatever form we'll be watching movies then right so, the so for me projection oh what did you say I, where the the future hollow projection where it yeah just yeah appears in front of you yeah. yeah so um but yeah it's it's a it's a big thumbs up for me i you know i highly recommend it not All for right. everybody. I mean, it's it's definitely, you know, again, this is one of these uh I can't imagine my parents enjoying this movie. They would be perplexed and, you know, <laughs> so but yeah. So that's And it my... moves pretty quick. Like you have to be paying attention to it. It's which never I like I like that it doesn't just lie there. It keeps it never... kind of cl- clicking forward. Yeah, it's never did you ever feel bored watching it? Nope. Did not okay. feel bored. Yeah, did not feel bored, and um, I—I'm not even going to say I didn't like it. I just so desperately wanted to get sucked into it, and I never—that never happened, you know. I—I mm-hmm. I, it's not that I—I'm not a thumbs down on this one. I'm just—I hesitate to enthusiastically recommend it because I'm kind of like, when I sit down to watch a movie, I want to go on a ride, and I just. I didn't feel like I got sucked into this. That's all. You know, I think it's almost worse to, just for me personally, but I think it's almost worse to really want to enjoy a movie and it just doesn't work for you for whatever reason to watch a movie and just hate it. You know, does that make sense? Yeah. 
My favorite is going into a movie I know nothing about with no expectations and having it blow me away. That's yeah. I, I, when I was when the Matrix came out. I remember I was just coming off of the flu, mm. and I was feeling well enough to get up out of bed and go to a movie, and I didn't feel contagious anymore. But I still felt, you know, low energy and just like, uh, you know, I can't. I'm not gonna go for a jog, but. You know, I, I got to get out of here. And as I went to see a movie, I'm like, oh, okay, it's Science Matrix. That's science fiction. It's got Keanu Reeves in it. Oh, that could be good. And I bought a ticket for it. And, you know, it was at the Matrix. Mm-hmm. And I walked out of the building and go, whoa, what just happened? You know, that's my favorite is when yeah. I, I don't, you know, I haven't had 50 people tell me that it's the best movie that's ever happened. Um. You know, that now it can never possibly live up to that. You know, I just love to go in and be totally surprised by something. I don't awesome. think anybody was prepared for The Matrix, though. You know, I mean, even. But I hadn't heard watched... anything yeah. about it either. You right. know what I mean? It had been out for a week or something like mm-hmm. that. And I I had been sick most of that week. So mm-hmm. it wasn't like my friends were like, dude, you got to check out that cool movie, you know? Because um, all my friends talk like that back they then. They do, yeah. They're like. Except uh, you. Yeah, except me, except me. Uh, yeah, it uh, the how I and I totally agree with you on that. It's uh, for me that was, and I think that's so much harder now, unless you just happen to, you know, it's in now. It this kind of seems unlikely, but uh, that you would just be in a situation where it's just like, eh, I just feel like going to the movies, and I don't really know what's planned, but I'm just gonna, you know, look at the marquee, and I'm just gonna buy a ticket or whatever. I mean, now you've seen the trailer and the trailer has basically shown you everything that happens, you know, all the important plot points in the movie. Um, so the way that what you're talking about used to happen for me would be when you would just like catch something on HBO and it would be like, Oh, either this is something I never heard of before, or this is something that I was familiar with, but I didn't want to watch it. You know, I didn't want to go and see it in the movie theater. I didn't want to pay to rent it or whatever. And it's just like, ah, I'm going to watch this on HBO and, it, and you're, you're thinking like, ah, this is going to be terrible. And then you wind up, you know, you really enjoy it. But yeah, yeah. those are, those are definitely when you have, um, when you have no expectations or you have low expectations and it turns out to be really good. Um, and I think especially as you get older, not that I, you know, I still find movies and other forms of entertainment to be, to really enjoy and be blown away by, but I think it gets harder the older you get. Do you feel that way? Yeah. I'm. Yeah. Partly I think because you have, when you're a kid, you don't know all the stories, you know, at this point we've, yeah, there, there aren't too many conceivable plot lines that we haven't already seen. Right. And then you sort of see it and there's almost a, almost a jaded, from experience, you're kind of like, oh, okay, this is one of those. Yeah. Unless it's just something completely original, really outside the box. Right. Something like a Matrix. And um, sometimes it'll fit a formula you're familiar with, and you can kind of see where it's going, but the execution is so great that you don't care. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I definitely feel like I... You know, it's not like I I have to be blown away by everything. There's a lot of stuff that, you know, it's kind of just comfort food. And it's even if it's, you know, Quentin, and we're getting far afield here, and I know you're going to have to go here soon. But, uh, you know, Quentin Tarantino, uh, and, you know, he'll, I think, would readily admit this. He's just borrowing from so many different films that he's seen. And he's just kind of combining it all together and making his own stew with it. Yeah. So it's not necessarily that it's, you know, these super, he's very derivative in a lot of ways, but he's making his own original thing with it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's fun to see. So, all right. So you want to talk about what we're doing next or? Yes. So for next time, we're going to, we're going to break with our usual thing. We're actually doing a, a brand new movie that just came out on Netflix. It is another Zack Snyder movie. It's called army of the dead. It's a zombie movie. So sort of spoiler alert in advance. If this is one you're interested in seeing, 
and you don't want us to discuss every little tiny minute thing that happens, you should know that going into because of course we talk about it we're going to talk about start to finish and this is brand new so generally i don't like doing brand new stuff for that reason alone but we were both excited to see this and it's zombies and it's got dave batista in it whom i really dig and it's got tignataro in it whom i really dig and there's an interesting story about her involvement with yeah i've read picture. about that it's um, pretty I'm crazy. I'm tempted to just start talking about it right now because I just watched it uh, the night before last, but I won't. I have not watched it. You have not watched it. So I have I, not watched I won't, it, yeah. I won't. I won't. I won't. I won't. And maybe I'll even watch it a second time for the heck of it, just so it's okay. fresh. And I got to say, I was excited. I saw the trailer, and you know, we pretty much it's talked a, about it right after the it's trailer. It's a great trailer. Yeah, it's the trailer's trailer. great. And then I saw the runtime is two hours and 45 minutes. It's a long and I was, was a long movie. we'll get into that. I mean, I'll see how I feel about the, but a zombie movie, like 90 minutes, I think is a really good, really good time frame. maybe two hours tops. So the 245, I'm, I'm a little apprehensive about, but we'll see. Uh, we'll see. I'm eager to, to hear your thoughts on it. Um, and I'm eager to have all of you join us next week when we discuss it. Uh, so this is a little bit shorter episode as well, but I think that's okay. Um, I have to put the kids to bed. You know, mm -hmm. it's just one of those paternal duties that has to take precedent over podcasts. Exactly. Yeah, but we still got it. We still got it in. We got it in. We got it in. And we got to talk about, and we had a good time doing it. So yep. um, this is... Chris Ferry and Chris Huddleston, Chris and Chris Talk Movies at gmail.com. Thoughts, feedback, suggestions, uh, ding us up, all the socials, many, not all, many of the socials. Um, we still got to, we're not doing TikTok videos. We still got to. Right. We got to come a up bad with back, it. man. It's hard for me to do those <laughs> dances. <laughs> Chris and Chris. Oh, oh. My back. <laughs> I wish it were funny, actually. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, um, great. So, thank you again for joining us, everybody, and subscribing to the podcast or listening to it as a one-off or whatever you're doing. We love that you do it. And um, anything else, Chris? No, I think that's it. Just thank you for listening. Excellent. And we will talk to you next week.